Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're going to be looking at productivity in the music industry. I think this is going to be a really interesting one. Ryan Edwards is joining us, who's the CEO and founder of Ordu. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Simon. How are you? You well? Yes, very well, thank you. As I started off in the intro, I think this is going to be fascinating because when we first met in terms of talking about Ordu, my mind was blown in terms of the issues that are out there of uh, royalty collection and all that kind of stuff I'd never considered when I was walking around a shop humming to my favourite tune thinking, oh, they must be making a fortune from this. But without stealing the thunder, we'll we'll get into that uh, in this podcast. So Ryan, we've known each other for a while now in previous lives outside of what you do currently. So be good for people listening if you can tell us a bit about yourself, what you've done historically and how you got to the position you are today. Yeah, of course. Um, so um, my, my career path, I, I like to think, is, is eclectic and interesting. Um, in my teens, so I, grew, I grew up in the West Midlands in a working class town called Stourbridge, uh, you know, on the, the Wolverhampton suburbs. And, you know, I think my, like most young lads, I, I, I dreamed of being two things, a, a professional footballer uh, and or a musician. Wasn't good enough at football, wasn't tall enough, actually. I'm not, I'm not very big and tall. But, um, uh, you know, the music was, was always the, the real passion for me. Um, and in my late teens, I signed a record deal with my friends who was in a band. We signed a record deal. Uh, we got to tour the world. We got to open for some of our heroes, like the Killers and REM and the Charlatans. It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, and we actually had a top 10 single as well, which was, was pretty exciting and pretty, pretty fun thing, thing to, to happen in, in life. Uh, and like so many stories in the music industry, uh, it, it wasn't meant to be. You know, we, we kind of dropped after that first single, and, and off I went. And and I always always joke. Um, you know, I, I got back home. We, we our final gig was in uh, in Austria at Salzburg Racetrack. And I flew home that night and you know, kind of sat sat home in, in my flat and went, right, what do I do? What do I do in my life? You know, it, it, it was all planned to be in. Uh, a musician i'm i'm like 20 years old and I'm, I'm definitely not going to make the football dream now uh what what do i do and the next morning i went to my local high street and i literally knocked on shop doors and said to store managers you know will you take pity on me will you give me a job um and, and there was no design of going into retail or anything like that but there was there was one an amazing man uh, called david norman who said who said yes he was the manager at the, the local car phone warehouse and he said look Come in on Saturday. I think I think the day was Thursday. So come in on Saturday, and if you sell two phones, I'll give you a job. And I went in. I think I sold five, and and the rest was history. You know, I spent the next seven years of my career at Carphone Warehouse. I went from a you know part time person to full time to assistant manager, store manager, department manager, and and right up through through the chain with that that amazing business. Uh, and then really the the kind of the next great passion which has formed the last um really seven or eight years of my career is is technology you know even even when i was was playing music i was always obsessed with technology be it a drum machine or when we were in the studio and all those kind of bits of fusing it all together and i moved to london uh in the early 2010s and got a job with a, an app development business and it was just at the explosion of apps you know i think the iphone 3g had just come out the app store had just been released and it was at the point where all these big corporate businesses needed apps building you know and we I, I worked for a business called grapple mobile which was eventually sold to money size group uh, and we were i always like to think we were one of the first app development houses really in europe um, that a big business like a bank, you know, we made the Lloyd's TSB um, app, we made the Santander app, we made apps with FIFA, could really go to and say, okay, we have a procurement process, we need to understand 
are you PCI compliant? You know, are you an actual business rather than contracting a, a kid in a bedroom? And, and and that's how it went. Um, and then through my my time at, at Grapple, spent a few years there, and, and as the exit went through into money ties, um, I was headhunted by Visa, moved to Visa and, and headed up digital and data services for them uh, in, a, in a European role. Um, and that's when I, I would I say I, I became data obsessed. I really realized the power um, of data and especially what businesses like your, your, yourself do, Simon. You know, I think during my time at Visa, it was, it was that explosion of that horrible buzzword of big data and getting people to understand it. But, you know, a business like Visa that can really analyze how people spend and behave and, and help, you know, retailers better serve personalized content to them was, was a fascinating um, experience and time to be in. And then um, immediately before I do, I was at a fintech business, which actually worked very closely with Visa. That's, that's how I met the fintech business. It's very early stage employee uh, with them. We raised a lot of money uh, in that business and it was a business called Bink and we were linking payments and loyalty cards to remove the friction from the shopper you know and and that's something where um i always think productivity really came to mind you know i understood the the, the power and the the reason that you know if you if you cut and understood data the right way of, of how important it was but actually when you look at the productivity world like we we're doing a big you know we were we were taking seconds off the transaction at the till uh, which i remember you validated for assignment and actually when we took this into lots of particularly the big grocers you know who are literally monitoring their till processes by second to to bring shoppers through still give them a great experience but take them through it was actually really really valuable in what in what they did um and i guess all of that that kind of 15 16 years of professional career has has all come back round in in one because you know we'll do is a technology business service it serving sorry serving the music industry um with data for for efficiencies for accuracies for for everything so i like to think i've, I've come back full circle don't don't have my drumsticks in hand anymore i have, a, have an apple an apple laptop but uh you know it's great it's great to be part of it again amazing so just just to clarify a few things on that journey you kind of lived the dream to start and it sounds like you're kind of living the dream again definitely um, and you do, you do support Wolves, don't you? I'm I do. Huge Wolves fan. Yes, absolutely. And, I, and a proud Wolves fan now, you know, for the, um, I'm in my mid thirties, so for the, you know, the first 30 odd years of my life, it was, you, you kind of had to say a Wolves fan secretly. And most Londoners would say who who are Wolves. Um, but now, you know, very proud. Uh, hopefully we're about to be in, well, we may, we may make Champions League. If not, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll remain in the Europa League next season. So really pleased. Good time to be a Wolves fan, I'm sure. Like all all clubs, like my club as well, that you go through the dark times and they they stick in the memory. So you've got to you've got to enjoy the good times, haven't you? Although I, I have a I have a funny feeling you're going to lose some of those players to the bigger clubs in the summer. But that's yes. that's for another day. <laughs> it's going to be yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, an interesting one. My um, it's a, a, a little fun side note. My my older brother got married at the end of last year, and and he's been with his his now wife about six or seven years. So you know, again when Wolves hadn't even been bought by our, our current owners, and his, his his wedding speech, of course, was very tailored to to the dark times. And he, he couldn't believe that, you know, stood there now, of course, where wolves are, you know, rather, rather than uh, paying over to his, his beautiful wife. <laughs> Happy days, yeah. Football football cuts across many things in life, doesn't it? Of course. <laughs> so if we focus on the the present, and I think this is where it gets really interesting, because this is where when we started to talk, we met when you were. At Bink, I think, um, yes. and kept in touch since. You you opened my eyes to 
a world that I'm not massively familiar with. I must admit, I know I get the output, so I listen to music. All the stuff behind the scenes is a bit of a mystery to me. I had a probably naive view of the world that I'll make some music, I'll put it out there, hopefully people buy it, and guess what? If it, I'm successful, I'll get paid every time somebody listens to it. And what you've kind of taught me is that's not necessarily how it works at the moment. So it'd be good, I think, before we jump into the what you're doing at Ordu, to give us probably a state of the nation of if me and you, let's say, probably unfortunately for the people that listen to it, produced <laughs> a, hit, a hit single. Yeah. Um, and I'm walking around Asda and it comes on and I'm thinking, hey, there's some more pennies in the bank. That bit behind there, there's some more pennies in the bank, I th- think is the bit that you can probably explain far better than me of how do I get paid every time it gets played or actually do I get paid every time it gets played? So um, I think the first thing we have to say, if, if we're going to form the next the next group, um, just a caveat: I, I'm not singing; I, I can't sing. So um, you're, you have Christ, to we won't get we won't get very far then. <laughs> the, light, the lights <laughs> the lights will be shining off my head, and if you're not singing, I'm not sure what okay. we're going to do. Maybe with <laughs> with, with, really with the first with a breakthrough musical uh, musical group, yeah, yeah acoustic cool. acoustic musical only, no singing. Definitely. I, I like it. So, but no, and, and actually, I think it's a really topical time with COVID-19 as well. The fact that artists you know, can't can't get out there and perform as well. So, you know, the, the focus on, on royalties and what happens is becoming more. So, um, yeah, so to talk you, I guess, from start to finish, as you say, you know, we, we go out, we go to the studio, we cut our CD, we either self-release or a label releases. And really the difference between a self-release and label releases the label will put a big marketing budget to, to start driving it, you know, um, that's, and, and that's typically why you see bigger, bigger pickups on, on, you know, that success. The music is then out there in the world. And of course there are multiple ways people can buy and consume music. So you think of the traditional, you go and buy a vinyl or a CD and you can play it in your car, you can play it at home, you can play it wherever, kind of wherever that you, you, you deem that you want to play it. The second side then is MP3 downloads again. So very, very much like the, the physical way of buying, you know, you buy that track, that's yours, you store it on your laptop, your iPod, wherever, and, and you can keep consuming it. And then the, the final type is is the, um, you know, the newest method, which is streaming. So um, where you pay a subscription and an amount of that subscription is attributed to the to the artists. The next side to, to stay with your, your kind of Asda example of, of you, you know, you hear that, that song in Asda is, Every um, area is, is known as public performance areas, um, you know, where you, where you would hear music in public. So anything from a gym to a retailer to a football stadium to just anywhere that you would hear music basically outside of your own home. And what these public um, performance areas and businesses have to do is they have to buy a license. So in the UK, there are two royalty societies. There's PRS for Music and there's PPL. Um, and what they do is they are non-for-profit organizations which are you know prs is in excess of 100 years old so they've been doing an amazing job for the last 100 years and they will go out to these areas and say hey if you want to play music here you need a license you pay us the license all of the artists that you're playing or we can tell you what the repertoire that you're allowed to play is um, which of course is millions of songs and from that then we will collect that license fee we will deduct a, a small operating fee because of course we you know we have to operate as, as a business even as a non-profit and then we will distribute that money to the artists and that's how they get paid and that distribution can take anything really from 90 days to about 180 days depending on where it comes from and these organizations they collect across public performance there are other avenues so they'll, they'll collect 
online revenue. So for the streaming services, they'll collect uh, international revenue. So if a British artist is played in the US or Australia or wherever else, you know, there will be contra deals where the, the right societies in those markets have to send money back um, as well. And, and they're kind of the key areas um, where where they start. And of course, live, sorry, that should also, they, they, they collect on, on live concerts as well. So if we stay with the public performance area, because that's where we focus as, as all do as a business and we're, we're particular experts in. So they will go to, I don't know, um, Asda in, in Shrewsbury, where, where you are. And let's say Asda has to pay, I don't know, £2,000 a year, just making up the number. It could be more, it could, could be less. That £2,000 then needs for that year to be distributed for all of the music that is played within within Asda. And and the challenge that, that we have seen and we've spotted really is that um, it's very hard to track and understand what's been played for a few reasons. If you bought a CD or a record, of course, every time you play that, well, nobody knows how many times you've played it because you've just, if you played it in your car, you've played it in your home stereo, you've played it in a, you know, a CD player attached to an amplifier in a large store. Nobody knows that you if you've played it once or a thousand times. Streaming is a little different. So when you subscribe to a streaming service, that really is for, for you, Simon. That is for you to listen to in your headphones, in your own home, in your car, in your own. It's, they're, they're essentially are licensing you as a person. You shouldn't be going and playing it at your local disco or broadcasting it in a public area. That's not what that license is for. It's, it's for you in, in your own environment. So the challenge that we're seeing here is that you've got unknown media sources like CDs and records being played out there, of course, which has always been a historic challenge to play, or you've got a misunderstanding of, of the rights streaming. And, and I won't bore everybody with the, the whole mechanical royalty rights and who owns what and what has to go where. Um, but if, if that is played, say, let's say, you know, the store manager instead as they just decides to plug his personal iPhone or iPod in, actually, they shouldn't be doing that. Um, now, the music industry has for a long time kind of um, had to accept it because there's no way to, you know, enforce it on hundreds of thousands of premises, if not millions around the world. Um, and what they've tried to do and what they do do is... That, that pot of money that needs to go out to artists, they distribute it on statistical analysis. So they will go out to, you know, a few hundred venues in the UK that they'll have profiled and say, well, you know, here's a big gym, here's a small gym, here's a medium size, same with retailers, same with coffee shops, all those kind of bits. And they will monitor what's been played or they will, and when I say monitor, somebody will stand there, you know, with a clipboard and capture it. Uh, they will also write to some of the licensees and say, can you tell us what's been played? Here's a spreadsheet to, to fill out so we can capture that as well. And then all of that data goes into this statistical analysis pot and the money is distributed on that. And it's a, it's a, a, a topical week as well on top of everything going on with COVID-19. So PRS in the UK actually made their distribution this week and the number was in excess of £130 million for the last 90 days. So this is serious, serious amounts of money that's being distributed to artists who, you know, particularly now, now more than ever, need that royalty stream to make a living. And it is genuinely distributed on, on statistical analysis um, where we believe... It, things should go and, and, and what we've done with our technology is actually you should capture all data about what's been played you know we, we've gone away in the energy world you know you, you're no longer playing your electricity gas or water based on an estimate you pay it on a smart meter based on the exact consumption so we do yeah. the exact same in music and that statistical analysis clearly is only as good as the spreadsheet that somebody fills in or what's being played at the time but exactly. the, i assume on a probability 
point from a probability point of view if i'm a bigger artist with a bigger back catalog of songs Mm -hmm. from a probability point of view i'm gonna get paid or have a bigger slice of the pie than if i was a one-hit wonder or you know had one album that was amazing and then and then nothing else so yeah it feels like the the rich may get rich and the poor may get poorer yeah exactly you know and and you know that that statistical analysis part you know there are so many factors you know there are there are the people capturing it there are the spreadsheets that are coming in and, and they are this there's millions of lines of data it's not small amounts of analysis and then of course they all overlay radio play and um, popularity on tv shows and all of these kind of things but as you say you know who's who's getting the most radio play right now well you know it's, it's probably ed sheeran it's elson john it's the it's the really really big guys and and you know, as, as you point out, if you're the small guys, the one hit wonder, which I like to think of myself as, you know, <laughs> that was us. <laughs> that was us. That was me and you in another life. It was, yeah, that, yeah, that was our, that was our, our band. Um, yeah, the, the 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 no directions we'll call us. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, you know, the, this whole idea and this whole business came about because actually I heard my song in a department store on on Oxford Street. I heard it played in a football stadium. Unfortunately, not mine, uh, not my team's, but um, and I heard it in a couple of coffee shops and I kept hearing it. And every time my statement came through with my royalties, A, those performances weren't on there. They weren't on royalty lines. Um, so yeah. I never understood it. And B, my, my royalty um, statement seemed to diminish more. And it's really hard to understand what you're, to know where your music is and isn't being consumed, you know, and um, particularly historically as well. You know, the great thing about streaming and Spotify, I know they, they give some amazing reports where they, they'll even look at geolocation. So they'll be able to say, right, these, this is the kind of music that's being played in Liverpool or Manchester or Sydney or where, wherever else it is. And actually, when you come to the offline world, what's happening in the public performance area? There's very, very little known. In fact, it's it's almost completely the unknown. And and when you look at this on a global scale, it's fifty five billion dollars a year that's being distributed. So you know this is serious, serious amounts of of, of cash. And and yeah, we we just find it kind of crazy that I guess nobody before us has really come along and and really attempted to solve this challenge. Big sums of money at play, and it's only going yeah. to take a small percentage to be inaccurate or wrong and clearly there'll be some beneficiaries from that but if if i'm one of the smaller artists that's my my lifeblood my bread and butter that i'm kind of not getting and i can't get to the data to understand why not i suppose was, was the revelation that you had when you saw the the uh the information yeah exactly and i think you know again the, the large to small artist when you go on tour as a big artist you have a crew, you have a tour manager, you have people who are submitting your set list to make sure your royalties are based on live performance. If you're, you know, doing a, a small gig in a, in a small venue, a couple of hundred people, you've got to do all, you're unloading all your setup, all your own sound checks. At the end of the night, you've got to do all your pack down. The last thing on your mind really is to, to, open a laptop and think right i need to lock my set list and i need to click yeah. um what what in, in the music world they have the equivalent in the book world of an is uh, they call it an isrc international standing recording code and a writing code as well and of course in the book world we'll all know isbns as well and of course you've got mm-hmm. to go and tag all these things it's just it's it's a lot of effort for artists to do and also artists by their nature by what i'm calling them as artists are creative you know they're they're not the people who are you know historically that astute at being commercial and running businesses in a, in a really respectful way you know and i was the same when i was an artist the last thing i was thinking about was accountancy and who was finding my spreadsheets or anything like that it was kind of like right as long as i get paid at the end of the month that i can eat that that was all i cared about and and, and i think you know the 
apps and the and the digital world has changed changed all of this and it's making it much easier and that's exactly what we're we're there to support so we've got there's a big problem you've seen it firsthand you're in in that problem and either getting the benefit or or not so you founded or do yep. to fix the problem so how are you going to fix it what what things have you been working on and thinking about to do i've seen some of it but i won't steal the thunder <laughs> of course so um i started with uh a, a, in a few different ways with a few different ideas i'd seen technologies like shazam which i think is is amazing um you know i love the shazam story that the idea of shazam was for pub quizzes that was the, that was where they started you know someone clearly was really bad at the audio recognition round in the pub quiz so that was where they you know that was kind of why they started and it became something even you know a lot lot bigger and a very successful business that was that F- the first fixes point. an argument very quickly that it does, when you get really into a debate does. about who did this song, what was it in, yeah, who sung it, it. it's like, oh, okay, here <laughs> exactly. we go. Yeah, and it, and it is, it's brilliant. Um, and, and actually what it showed is that you can convert audio into into a way to, to understand what it is. And um, what's brilliant is Shazam starts with maths, you know, and, you know, I, I always joke that everything starts and ends with, with maths. You know, they, they listen to audio, convert it, build it into an algorithm, the algorithm works out what it is. So that was the first kind of point of call to really understand how um, – that sector, how algorithms are evolving. The second piece then was hardware. So to, to capture and understand the music, you've essentially got to have a microphone in a location to really understand or align into the, to the amplifier, a bit like a headphone jack socket. So I looked at all the smart speakers. We took, I think I bought every smart speaker and took them apart to, uh, to really understand what was going on in there, how many microphones, what the proximity was, were they in a circular pattern, a square pattern, all those kind of bits. Um, and then of course, how you report it, how you build dashboards and, you know, the, the technology world is really being unlocked by anything in what I would describe as a platform play, you know, and any, anybody who can have a platform that um, crunches and displays data in a really tangible way was was really important and actually the eureka moment came to me was um i'd taken apart a couple of the smart devices and um, my daughter was born in march 2019 um, and we were kind of you know, getting her her nursery bedroom ready and we bought a nightlight for her and it was this like round little circular nightlight and i looked at it yep. and went oh my gosh if you could Essentially, if we could build that, it kind of looks like a smart meter um, in the energy world. And if we put that into every public performance area, then we could just monitor. And if we could monitor it, then we can report back and we know what's going on and the societies can make distribution and everything. And it kind of, kind of the, the wheels got spinning. And then the next thing I looked at was, um, of course, changes in law. So, you know, the big thing for me was GDPR and um, particularly coming from a fintech world or, or, or that space for the last few years. Um, you know, the different, the big thing with Shazam is it's permission led. So if, if anybody wants to bore themselves like I did, I read, you know, the full terms and conditions and privacy policy. And of course what happens is, when you open the Shazam app, you hit listen and it goes out and it listens to that audio and it sends the audio back to, to their servers and it works it out that way. And they can store a copy of that audio file for their future learning. Well, if I'm putting essentially a microphone led device into every public performer, yeah, every, every retailer in the country and gym and more, the last thing I want to do is listening to people's private conversations. A, I'm not interested as interesting as some of them may be and as boring as some of them may be it's, it's not a space we want to be in as a business uh, and then the second one was um actually just 
it's it's private it's got to be locked down it's got to be really easy and also we've got to transfer a lot of data so we've got to compress and find a way to do it so the way that we've architected our, our technology is that the device in the location will capture the audio clean up all the background noise all the voices everything that's going on um pinpoint the music and then we co- we create what we call a digital fingerprint. So it takes that music into a fingerprint and it transmits that very, very tiny fingerprint, which is like less than a kilobyte to our platform. And then our platform has millions of songs in a library and it matches the fingerprints. So at no point do we capture, store or send audio. It was about being safe, secure um, and, and being able to report accurately uh, as well. And, and that's kind of it. So we have what we call an audio meter really small piece of hardware um if anybody's got kids and they know what a nightlight is it's that kind of size uh, and and then we have you know this this platform which has millions and millions of songs ingested in it um that matches all the music tags it works out the location that it was played in the time we put all of those kind of tags of data in um and then we were we were actually due to launch uh here in the uk uh just before lockdown kicked in so we've had to slightly delay that but by the end of the year these will start going out to venues across the uk and any other territories around the world and we will start to be able to collect that that audio you know recognition data and start to pass it back to the, the societies so they can make distribution what i would describe as as more accurate and more fair for everybody it's interesting because as clearly you've described some of those challenges you've had to overcome so there's the the ease of install yep so you know if this is going to be global you can't have a need for it to be a big install with lots of cabling and wires and people having to go out and then if it breaks down somebody has to replace it so that that infrastructure bit i think is really interesting yeah. the the filtering bit must have been a real challenge so how do you strip out everything and get to the music yeah. but then i suppose on the other side every day there's more music being deployed yeah. and in a, in a world of digital it, you don't like you you mentioned right at the start you don't have to print vinyl, you don't have to put it on a CD or cassette, you can just launch it digital. So that ever-growing library as well must be a challenge to keep adding yeah, to. Yeah, it is. And what we've we've approached it in two ways, so um, on the library side. So we've gone out and we've broke a deal with most of the major labels um, and the bigger kind of indie labels around the world to say, look, you, you guys know the problem because it's been a historic problem. This is how we're solving it. Essentially, give us your catalogs, give us all of your music and continue to give us your music on a weekly basis, you know, new releases. So we're, we're constantly um, making sure it's in there. So that that caters for a big kind of, you know, the 80, 90 percent of the market to get it. There's then this this kind of remaining somewhere between 20 and 20 percent, which is less popular. So um, I don't know, it could be thinking of a genre some moroccan jazz that's only played in a, in a finite amount of restaurants or, or cafes in the uk and just not a known artist here and not on any of the popular services and certainly not on a major label you've not been to the restaurants in shrewsbury then that's that's all the age here Moroc- oh, really? moroccan oh, okay. jazz, moroccan jazz. Like, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go next time i'm up <laughs> there'll, there'll be some disappointed people that it's not i know i'm sorry anyway. <laughs> so there's so there's kind of that segment where they've, they've got bits and then of course as, as you described there's the the self-releases you know like, you know if, if you and i were genuinely had, had recorded our song as no direction and we wanted to click a button and release it to the world right now we we have no capacity to to just find all of those songs and, for, and, and to contact them so actually one of the things that we will be launching early next year is to ensure that actually artists can upload to us as well so they'll be able to come to audio.com 
have an artist log in and they can upload their music. Now there'll be a series of things in there for a check. So I can't go and upload, I don't know, the latest Taylor Swift song and try and get paid off it as, you know, as appealing and, and, and clever as that might be. It's um, you know, certainly against the law as a starting point. And it also then it puts some responsibility on them um, as well. You know, I, I, I always say that we are, we're trying to, to solve a historic problem that's never been able to be solved you know genuinely and we have some some fantastic support you know both here and around the world which is 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 really amazing and we're we pinch ourselves every day to have that but my biggest nightmare is that i start getting emails and messages from artists saying i'm not getting paid you're not recognize me Uh, uh, and at least i can then turn around and say well guys you didn't give it us you know if you don't if you don't tell us what it is and you don't give us a copy well i'm really sorry we can't you know we we can't guess this we can't guess every song that's going to be written for the next 10 to 15 20 or however many years it is you know you've got to it's it's your responsibility to make sure that we have a copy we've got as much as we can you know but we don't you know we don't have infinite resource to go and stand in every venue because if we did we wouldn't be solving it with technology anyway and to making it kind of a pull model from your side or a a push from the artist is yeah it's the right thing to do isn't it? you're you're solving the long-standing issue but they've got to have part of the deal to complete the picture for you it's um yeah it's interesting it still blows my mind when you every time you describe it that um that that's how it works i never ever in a, a conscious thought would have thought it had been divvied up that way i suppose but then <laughs> on the other hand t- tech is tech is what it's been over the last x hundreds of years so there was probably not a, not another way to do it until until we're here now so no and, and and i always you know one of um so one of my non-exec directors in in all do is is greg gormley who was actually my boss at bink so he was he was one of the co-founders of that business you know and um i remember we we'd just been through a, a very large funding round at, at bink um with a you know a, a really really a big name that had, had, had invested some money and we were kind of out having a, a a mini celebration you know a few drinks and i was kind of hitting the three-year mark and he said to me well you know what's next you know and, and joked he said you know he said do you want my job and i and i said to him look i said i, I love being it was a, it was an incredible business to be a part of you know i think i was fifth into the business when i left it in excess of a hundred and i said to him look i've got i've kind of got this idea and i've been thinking about it and i've done some really light research and you know describe the problem as as we have over the last i think you know, kind of 20 minutes or so and and told him and he said that's he's, he's, and he and he's an accountant by trade and he said to me can't be right he said he said he can't be right he said if it is right he said i think you've got the next unicorn but he said he can't be he said i don't i almost don't believe you he said you're missing the point here completely and utterly and and you know the story goes and and i woke up the next morning six half six like i do most days and i'd got like 50 whatsapp messages from greg saying I couldn't stop thinking about what you said. I've been reading on the internet all night. You've got to do this. You're, you're absolutely spot on. You're correct. You, this business is all go. I'll invest. Let's get going. And I remember, I think I replied saying, so are you sacking me or are you investing in me? You know, and it's, it is. And it, for, I guess for everybody outside of the music industry, you, you just assume it works, right? Just like, and that's the same in any industry. It's the same in all the efficiency things that you do in retail or anything. Yeah. You just, you just, you just, as a consumer, you just assume it works because it does. And actually, you know, as I said, Greg, Greg then went on, made his investment has been an amazing support in the business by joining the, the the board and and just just helping me everything from you know 
creating, running and, and scaling the team as we have done over the past 18 months. Um, and, you know, he he always jokes, you know, that he is the, the epitome of the, the music consumer, has his Spotify playlist, doesn't really ever think about anything else. And, you know, he's been with me, sat in some of the biggest record labels in the world in front of their top execs. And they, of course, they confirm everything that I've said to you today. And it's just a normal thing to them. And, and you know, Craig and I walk out going, oh my gosh you know then and um, you know of course we come out buzzing going you know a because we may have spotted more opportunities that we can solve and support them with and you know because we already have some of that access built into the technology we've built but i think it's like any industry sometimes somebody's kind of almost got to come externally to do it and just go sorry yeah. why are you doing it like that because you, you and i'm sure you hear it a lot simon in, in in productivity world in rethink of well that's that's just how we do it right that's that's just it is what it is uh, and and that was it and now you know we're taking this really fresh approach as technologists and data people to go to this this industry which we all love and care about it's such a, an amazing thing to be and I, I always joke you know we're a technology data business that gets to play in music um, and the music is the sexy side of it but actually to bring it all together and, and solve this genuine problem and of course the engagement and what we what we receive in interest from from yeah various societies and labels and publishers and everybody else in that chain around the world has um, has really helped us validate that we we're on the right path it's a brilliant journey so quickly what does the future look like so the product's pretty much there and, and done and that's going to get distributed so once it's out there and it's listening and yep. we've started to smooth some of that inconsistency and made it a bit fairer what's what's the next generation of stuff you're starting to think about <laughs> so um the next thing for us is is an artist-led mobile app one of the things I'm, I'm passionate about is, of course, the societies need the data. So that's kind of where we make our money and our, and our revenue streams. And so do yeah. labels and publishers. And that's really where the money is. Um, having been on, on you know, the, the struggling artist to assigned artist to be dropped, you know, it's quite a curve to be on. And actually every penny counts. So our artist app will uh, will be something that goes out there for free, probably with some premium services as well, if it's, if it's really important things that, that people want. But we'll, le- we'll launch an app where they can actually see where their music's being played um, live around the world. So our delay um, as far as far afield as Australia, because we've tested it, is no more than 15 seconds. So you and I could be sat here right now looking at uh, our imaginary hit, which I'm sure was an amazing hit. And, and we could see that being played in any retailer, bar, gym, anywhere around the world and really understand how our music's being consumed, enjoyed and, uh, and, and listened to. And as an artist, that must, be, that must be an amazing feeling when that data is available in real time. That you think actually, you know, it's probably one of those I've made it moments of yeah. it's being played in 30 countries and, 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 and. Or exactly. if it's your first breakthrough, like, bloody hell, it's being played somewhere. Amazing. <laughs> And that's it. And, and it's always hard to know when you've been played, you know, be it radio play to be, it, you know, you know, a couple of my examples of was because I was there and I, I happened to be there. And, and y- you joke about the breakthrough, you know, my so the, the first time my band was played on Radio One. I'd just come off stage. I can't even remember where we were, but we, we, we come off stage playing somewhere in Europe. And my older brother rang me uh, who just got in his car in the gym at home. And he went, Steve Lamax playing you on Radio One. <laughs> and it's like oh my god and of course now a few people would have probably heard it within our social group because we like to think they were called and they were listening to Stephen Mack back then but if he hadn't have rang me at that very very moment we'd have had no 
idea that, that we had just been played on, you know, what is probably the pinnacle um, of British radio for new bands and actually by, by you know, the guy who broke all the music like Steve Lamax. So, you know, there's, there's so many of those little anecdotes that I, I remember in my head. And I, as we kind of come up with these ideas and these, these IP bits that we want to build, like the app, like the dashboards and all that, it's like, right, where's the wow moment that's really cool and really validates that you're, you're making it and what's going to happen. And, and just for silly things like touring. So I always remember when my band played the UK, we'd open for some, uh, a band called Little Man Tate in Sheffield a few times. And they, you know, they had a really, really successful uh, first and second album. And whenever we went to Sheffield, we could sell out, you know, um, venues of about a thousand people for two or three nights, you know, so we did really well. And we go up the road to Manchester, not very far. And we, we would struggle to put 30 people in a room. And it's like, well, why? Well, we knew there was some leverage because of Little Man Tate. But again, were there particular cafes or record stores that were constantly playing us? What was happening in Manchester? Where wasn't it happening? What was going on? And it's like, well, if we're going to book at all, did, did we almost need to look at it and go, right, we either need to focus on Manchester and really try and break it? Or do we just go, you know what, for, for the few people we put in the room, is it cost effective to fill the van with diesel, go there and load, spend the night, etc.? Or do we try and put on a fourth night in Sheffield and try and build it out that way? So, which is, of course, how any booking agent would think about, um, you know, kind of selling tickets as a band goes on the road. Amazing, amazing. So, uh, listen, I've really enjoyed this one. I think it's been, it's been a an emotional journey because we formed the band and we're now about to disband it. And I know. Somewhere in, some, <laughs> somewhere time. in there, we had. We had, uh, I'm sure we had an amazing acoustic hit. Of no course, lyrics. No, I agree. Lyrics. Second, second time in my career, I'm, 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 yeah, it's, you know, it didn't quite work out, never mind. <laughs> never mind. We'll, we'll get over it and go back to the football. Um, we will. So if people want to find you and find out more about the stuff you're doing, where's the best place for them to get hold of you? Cool. So the website is allddo.com, A-U-D-O-O. Uh, we're also on, we have a LinkedIn page, we have a Twitter uh do we say a Twitter page, a, tw- a tweeter, a Twitter, uh, and an Instagram page as well? And the Instagram page is more about kind of us as a team having fun and just a bit about our culture where everything kind of linked in and Twitter is a bit more about kind of what's happening in the industry. Um, you know, COVID-19 has been a particularly um, challenging time for most of the creative community. So we've made sure that, you know, PRS have given some amazing grants out that we've just retweeted things where we've seen them and thought, you know, not that we have millions of followers right now, but guys, you should really be looking at these bits. Good stuff. And final question, because everybody that comes on gets the same one. You've worked in some amazing companies and some really cool startups. So what's the best bit of business advice that kind of stands out in your mind that you've ever been given? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. I think for me, it was, it's just go for it. Um, you know, there's, there's always a reason not to do something. Um, when I look back to the day that I incorporated or do on company's house here in the UK and registers it as a business. Um, my wife was eight weeks pregnant and we picked up a dog 14 weeks before that. Um, so, you know, some people would say I'm absolutely mad. I, I would say it brought me the biggest focus of my, my life because, you know, all of a sudden all that, that new parents and, and responsibility was, was hitting on the shoulders. Um, and here I am, um, uh, well, we're 22, 23 months old now. Business, the team is 15 people. Revenue should have kicked in a few months ago. Didn't quite because of COVID-19, but it will be in a few months' time. You know, we've been literally around the world, you know, during that time. And, and don't get me wrong, it's, there's been challenges. It's been stressful. There's been lots of sleepless nights, but I wouldn't change anything for it. And if, if Greg hadn't phoned me that day and said, I think you should go for it, and I said yes, 
then um, I guess I'd still be um, it maybe even start still working for him, um, wondering what if and and don't don't ever allow what if to to stop you. No, totally agree. Brilliant. I appreciate your time, Ryan. It's good to catch up. You too. Thank you. Cheers. Take care.